Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. All right, it's episode 10, Pain Points of Wealth. You've seen the headlines. We give you the real story. And guys, the real story is uncertainty is abound. It's the same thing we talk about week after week. Now we have this fiscal stimulus that may pass. It might not pass. I don't know, before the end of the year, we may not get any sort of further stimulus. The, the political contention is heating up in this country. The pandemic cases are on the rise, but the market keeps going up. And not that we haven't said that week after week on this show. Ignore the noise because clearly the market likes something. Well, here's the thing. The market climbs a proverbial wall of worry, but I've been doing this for 45 years. I worry every day. Every one of my clients is concerned about something. If we put up a chart of the market over the last 45 years, I could give you worries that, you know, will turn your hair gray. Oh, my hair is already gray. I don't want to do that to you guys. You know, you got time yet. But Chris, why is it that everybody worries about something that everybody already knows? I mean, how come the market doesn't care what everybody else is worried about right now? Because the market's forward looking. And, you know, the really crazy thing, Dad, is that even with like all the news and all the uncertainty, you know, I'm talking with a lot of my clients, you know, the thing I'm hearing is like, oh, things are horrible. You know, we got to get out of this market. I'm like, well, guess what? Your portfolios are at all time record highs right now. And I always get the same response. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, why is all this bad news coming out? I said, well, the thing I always say is because good news doesn't sell, bad news sells. This is true. And you don't get good prices, you know, with good news. So not only has your portfolio hit new highs, it's probably going to go higher because, you know, the market really cares about the economy. I mean, it's all about earnings. It's all about profits. It's all about dividends. And, you know, the market's forward looking, as Chris said. So, right, what are you hearing on the earnings health? I mean, isn't the earnings news good? I mean, we had JP Morgan report just the other day. Yeah, well, that's the thing you have to discern between here, right, is what is the economy doing and how are companies doing? Because that's why we're invested, not because of who's going to be in the White House come the next couple of weeks. And let's be real, guys, the numbers have come in way better than expected. You know, we're in earnings season again right now. Companies are reporting. It looks like they're going to report better than expected earnings. Still down this year, because this year we did have a pandemic. But when you start looking at the outlook, Bob and Chris, next year, earnings could rise as much as 25%. We know the economy is going to recover by the second half of next year. We're going to be back to where we were in 2019. So when you start to kind of pull away at all the noise out there and what the media is talking about, and you get back to the fundamentals, everything's lined up here that says stock prices are probably going to go higher than where they are today. Well, right. It's really not fair. I mean, if you think about it, right, guys? I mean, we have all these secret indicators that nobody knows about. First of all, we have 2,000 households who vote with their money every single day, and they're all scared to death and negative and worried. There's even people taking money out of the market and sitting on the sidelines to wait till there's certainty. That's a positive indicator. That means the market's going to go up because it does the opposite of what people think. We look at the advanced decline line. We look at the market every day. We see that there's more stocks going up than down. I mean, that tells you that prices are going higher. You know, it's right there in plain sight. You know, these indicators are in plain sight. And you know who really benefits are long-term investors. I don't know any rich traders. I know a lot of rich investors. That's a really good point, Dad. To your point, a lot of the things that I've been hearing is like, oh, well, you know, we're just doing well because we own tech. And that's not true. 
We don't own just own tech. Things like value are really starting to come back. Things like small caps have actually are flat for the year finally. So it's not just tech that's leading the charge here. Everything else is coming back too. You know, Chris, it's all perspective too, though, isn't it? You know, you look at where did I pay for this and where it is it now, right? If you invested at the beginning of the year, you're saying, oh, like Chris, you just said, oh, I'm breaking even. But what if you added a ton of money when we were down 35% in March? Now you're up 50, 60% on some of your positions. You know, it's all about a matter of perspective, right? And quite frankly, no one cares about your cost basis except for the internal revenue service. So, you know, you got to invest based on your goals, based on valuation, and the economy is really doing well right now. We've got a V-shaped economy and no one seems to know it. Well, the other thing too, you know, to Chris's point is you're right. It's not just tech driving this. And that's kind of been the narrative in the headlines right now is you have to own Amazon, you have to own Google, you have to own Facebook. Yeah, they've done really, really well. But to Chris's point, you know, the international markets are starting to come back. They're starting to perform phenomenally well here. Emerging markets are now up for the year. Small caps are starting to do well. So, you know, when you're thinking about building a portfolio and you're thinking about putting your money to work, like you want to start thinking about what is the world going to look like in a year from now, two years from now? Are we still going to be locked down? Are we going to be sitting on Zoom calls day after day? Or do you think we're going to get back to normalcy? If we're going to get back to normalcy, well, that gives you a lot of different places to invest your money. And I think more than ever right now, it's critical that you start thinking about that diversification because it's not really about today. To your point, Bob, as a long-term investor, it's about really what are things going to look like over the next two years, three years, four years, five years. Well, that's why you have to be kind of focused on a wider lens You know, when you look at the markets and the economy. I mean, first of all, no one knows that China's stock market just made an all-time record high last week. Nobody's talking about that. BlackRock came out with their earnings the other day. Last I heard, BlackRock's not a tech stock. Stock was up 30 points after its earnings, right? You have all these things that are happening right in plain sight. And if you wait until everybody knows it, you miss the opportunity. It's about being an investor. When you invest based on certainty, it means you're certain to never make any money. That's a good point, Dad. You know, really talking about uncertainty, right now there's like $4.6 trillion sitting on the sidelines right now, getting less than a 1% return. So essentially, $4.6 trillion getting absolutely no return. You think about the long-term effects of inflation, that insidious tax that you always talk about, Dad. They're essentially going to lose money over time, You know, especially considering there's a lot of great opportunities in the market right now. There's a lot of areas of the market, to Ryan's point, like international, that are cheap. They could be getting in. And not only that, getting a great dividend, getting great cash flow, which is eons above less than 1% that they're getting on their $4.6 trillion. Yeah, but Chris, they're sitting here waiting for someone to wave the flag, to hit the bell, to tell them it's all safe. It's all clear. Right. It never comes. That all clear signal never, ever comes. Yeah, that's kind of like children that blame their parents for all their problems. You know, at some point you have to take responsibility for your life. Like, look at Ryan and I. Now, wait a second, Chris. Bob and I wanted to talk to you about your complaining. It's getting a little overwhelming. Well, I'll tell you what. I know I did a good job as a dad because I'm down in my living room right now. Neither of you are sleeping on the couch. So I know that I've done my job. There's still time, Bob. There's still time. I've been eyeing that couch up for years. But I think this brings up another point. I think it's a really good point is you just mentioned China. And who expected China to just move out of the blue the other day, right? It wasn't in the paper, you know, not that we read the paper anymore. It wasn't online. There was no indication that for some reason, China, which the numbers have actually been good all year, all of a sudden was going to have a big move out of the blue. And I mentioned the emerging markets again, too, because that's a place that it's not well covered. You don't read a lot about how well the emerging markets are doing. 
And then bam, just like that, you get a big move up. Unless you're in ahead of time, you miss that boat completely. Yeah, I think the bottom line is when something works in your portfolio, it should be a surprise. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, we planned that this was going to happen on this date. Investing doesn't work that way. Well, here's the problem we're all average, normal human beings. And let's face it, we project the future based on our most recent experience, right? China was shut down, it should be shut down forever. You know, the US stock market dropped in March, it should never go up again. Right, We tend to project the future based on our most recent experience. It's in our DNA. There's nothing we can do about it. On the other hand, the stock market never looks back. It's always looking forward. It's always pricing in what's going to happen three to six months to three years down the road. You don't know what's going to happen in three years, for crying out loud. You don't know what's going to happen at lunch today. So the idea of trying to predict what's unpredictable, know what's unknowable, is not humanly possible. Right. It is possible from the charlatans that want to sell you a hedge fund or some private equity fund, but or a SPAC, you know, those new things I hear about all the time. You know, get smacked by a SPAC is the new advertisement that they should be running on these podcasts. So you have to be smarter than your DNA. You've got to plan on being invested and you've got to look at opportunities within your portfolios. Here's the thing I love about portfolios, guys. The market tells you every day where the opportunity is in your portfolio. In other words, buy what's down. Yeah. Well, I think the other way to look at that is be smart enough to know you're not that smart, right? That's the key here because maybe you're going to vote for Biden and you think if Biden doesn't get in, democracy's over. Or maybe you're going to vote for Trump because if Trump doesn't get in, socialism's going to reign. You're not the only one with that opinion. <laughs> every single person that's watching the same news that you are thinks the same way. And there's no way in the world that stuff's not priced into the market. So just realize Whatever you're thinking right now or whatever conclusion you've come to, probably everybody else has too. And I've always said the best edge you can have is realizing you don't have an edge. You know, Rye, I guess you're really complimenting everybody because as Warren Buffett says, the person with the lower IQ always outperforms in the stock market the person with the higher IQ. In other words, don't outthink it. It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And I think, guys, one of the things that's going on right now is basically, what's my exit strategy if things get bad? You know, what if we do have a sell off between now and the end of the year? What's our strategy? And I think you have to get comfortable with a couple laws, I would call, of protecting your portfolio against downturns. And the first one is bear markets, or when the market goes down, it's not that uncommon. It's going to happen over time. You know, it's not that big a deal. Markets go down, but they also go up. And I think just embracing the fact that markets do go up and down, and it doesn't mean you have to get in or out of the market, makes it a lot easier. Just knowing that there's always going to be waves when you go out to sale. So I guess what you're saying, Rai, is that when you're investing, you should be investing based on a financial plan, based on your personal plan, your family's plan. It should be customized to who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. I think the problem is it's, you know, the markets do get volatile, they do get scary, and the media is all over you when things are negative. So how do you overcome that? How do you overcome that fear of bear markets? Well, that's a good question, Dad. Like I think one thing is is that you don't want to put all your money in one place. The whole idea behind diversification, you know, different markets go up and down at different times. For the last two years, but a lot of my clients were like upset that they held bonds until March when the only thing trading at a profit at that time, well, guess what? We're bonds. So we were able to use that profit and reinvest back in the market while it was low. Chris, that's news to Bob because Bob put most of his money into Bitcoin as protection. And he realized when the market sold off, that was a bad idea. So hopefully he'll learn next time. Well, that's why we call him Bitcoin Bob. <laughs> <laughs>
But, you know, I mean, every decade you're going to have this one stock stop shopping or one stop shopping stock, I guess is a way to put it. It was GE, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, like I own GE. What do I need to have a diversified portfolio? Well, you know, GE selling at $6 a share hasn't gone up at all. You know, the market's been going up every year for the last 10 years, every stock but GE. You know, after GE, it was Cisco. Cisco's the only tech stock I'm looking at right now that's down for the year, down big or Intel. You can't put all your eggs into one basket, as you say, Chris. So that's smart. You know, got to diversify. But how do you prepare mentally for the fact that you know there's going to be a bear market that could drop as much as 50% and, you know, invest in the wall that right into the face of that concern? And Chris, the answer is not drinking here. So I think the way to do it is, and this is something that I think a lot of us suffer from, and that's this all or none strategy, Right. The all or none, the market might go down at the end of the year. So I'm going to put all my money in cash, right? And if I'm wrong, the market goes up, I miss the boat. And you know, you can look at maybe I'm only going to put my money into tech stocks because technology is the only place where there's real growth right now, which is true. But at some point, that will probably change. And you don't want to bet your whole portfolio on one situation. So I think the way, Bob, to bring your portfolio down to what you like to call the sleep point is you want to have what I call an all-situation portfolio. No matter what happens, market goes up or down, Bitcoin goes through the roof, maybe not Bitcoin, is you want to make sure your portfolio has something that can benefit or something that can protect you. That's the way to look at it. See, when you're dealing with me as a baby boomer, you show me one picture and it saves you 3,000 hours of flapping your lips because unless I fully understand what you're trying to tell me, right? it's your words against my fear. And every baby boomer's fear, every investor's fear is that the market can go to zero. So the first thing you have to do is educate people that the market doesn't go to zero. It takes two steps up, one step back. It's never going to zero. So if you just show me a picture of the historical rate of return of the stock market, just a pyramid, just show me that graph like going left to right, how the market's gone up for the last 200 years, that gives me some comfort. But I think for every one of you that's listening to this podcast right now, you need to personalize it. And that's where wealth projections come in. Ryan, Chris, and I run wealth projections, not only our own accounts, we run it for our clients' accounts, and we call it A to B. So having your own personal picture of A to B, of where you're going to be 5, 10, 15 years from now, makes it much easier to stay invested. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dad, about the charts. I mean, if I look back from when I was born in 1980, yes, I'm going to be 40 this year. The market has returned, the Dow has returned a 2,000% over that period of time. Now, of course, there was a lot of valleys and there's a lot of volatility in that period. But the other thing that people fail to realize that you fail to realize as investors is that your portfolios are generating dividends. You know, Companies that you own are sharing your profits with you. Even when the market is down, you're essentially getting paid to wait. So it's like if you own a business, just because the business is down doesn't mean you're going to shut down the business. You're going to do everything you can in your power to make that business successful so that you can return to profitability. Yeah. And it's funny, Chris, because I was back in March when the market was selling off. I'm in some of these chat rooms for some of my business organizations. And I saw some guy post in there like, get out of the market. He's like, it's simple. He's like, if you buy a car at 20000 it goes to 15000 you know, that's not a good buy. And last time I looked, I was thinking a car doesn't pay you a dividend. <laughs> you know, you don't own a Cadillac and it sends you a check every quarter. And I think that gets lost as an investor when you're thinking, we talk about this probably almost every show. It's like, oh, I'll get out of the market. Okay, great. Now you're earning nothing on your money. I'm sorry, you're earning a half a percent that you're paying taxes on your money. And that's the point here. Like if you have this great real estate property, 
and you had great tenants that were paying you the rent every single month. And even better, every couple of years, you raise the rent on them, they continue to pay it. And maybe there's a downturn in that area where those properties are. But you know, in five years from now, it's going to be a hot area. More people are going to move in. Why the hell would you ever sell? <laughs> you know, But with the market, that's exactly what we do. So you really have to overcome your fear of losing it all. And that's the thing about the financial markets. I mean, some people actually believe that when the market goes down, you lose that money and never recover it. They don't understand how the market just goes down and recovers. You have the same amount of shares, just the valuation of the price is, you know, changes every single day. So the way to overcome this and to be a successful investor is truly diversification. You know, that overused word that you see from Wall Street, but it just means owning a lot of different things, a lot of different eggs in your basket. It's that simple. And just become an historian, right? Market historians understand that the market goes up over time. And whenever you're thinking about panicking, just look at the price and say, okay, if I get out at 28,000 and I get back in at 26,000, I'm a genius. But if I miss that move to 50,000, yeah, maybe my spouse leaves me. Well, I mean, I've talked to mom. I think she's still in, Bob. But you know, <laughs> you always have precaution there, which brings up another really good point. Because the other question is, we talked about the election today, is let's just say the election, the person you don't want to elect it gets in and the market does sell off your worst fears. Well, my question always is, what market? Because China doesn't care if it's Biden or Trump in the White House. China's growth isn't contingent upon who's in the White House here. So if you have a diversified portfolio, not every company is going to benefit better or worse because that candidate's now in office. And that's, again, where diversification pretty much insulates you from an all or none proposition. Well, I noticed that Germany made a 52-week high last month. Wait, do you think they were thinking about the election here? You know, I think to your point that about Germany not being soulless, I think the same goes for us as people, as investors, because inherently we are emotional. And I feel like a lot of times when I speak with my clients and just people out in the public is that they have this fear that they have no control, like they have no control over their portfolio and have no control over their success. And the reality is that's not true. You have absolute control. Like the way you make your loss real is you sell out, you succumb to your emotions. So when people tell me, oh, you know, it's out of my control, the market's going down. Well, guess what? It is in your control. You have the power to stay in. You have the power to diversify your portfolio. And you certainly have the power to build a excellent financial plan based on your goals. That's a good point, Chris, because if I had, I've always said that if your house was priced in the newspaper every day, everybody would rent. If you saw how volatile you know, the price of your home is based on history, there's no way in the world you would stay in that place. So it's just like anything else, you know, you got to shut off the propaganda, you got to ignore the noise, you got to focus on your goals, focus on diversification and the cash flow. Dividends, interest, cash flow are key. That's the winning combination, my man. Bob, Chris and I have now a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence on your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review at www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review.
All right. It's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Chris, there are 162 million Americans without access to decent internet. The United States' most serious tech problem is that half Americans struggle to get reliable online access, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that is pretty crazy, right? You know, I would suggest that they stick to plain old telephone service and take it back old school and start using dial-up again. That's like Bob in the golden days when he was actually working remotely before remote was a thing back in the 80s. I don't think anyone else was from working remote before Bob was. Yeah, I had to call Chris every day and say, Chris, I think the line I have is dirty. (laughs) (laughs) I think the symbol for the first work from home stock was B.O.B. All right. So, Bob, this is right over my point in the last segment. The outcome of the U.S. election doesn't matter to most Chinese companies whose ownership and business operations are largely domestic. Boy, I've had a nickel for everybody who called me over the last six months and said, I don't want a Chinese company (laughs) in my portfolio. I don't want a company that does business with China in my portfolio. And I went through and I did the due diligence and I gave them a list of stocks they can own. There were none. (laughs) Well, sadly, if I say that we do own China in our portfolio, they may not let me talk on Fox Business again. Just saying. Yeah, but if you have a portfolio of domestic companies and you have a CEO, let's say you own a great American company and the CEO gets up and says, you know, there's 1.4 billion potential customers for our product, but because you requested I don't do business with China, we're not going to sell anything to those $1.4 billion customers. We're going to let our competition do it. I'll tell you what I'm doing that day. I'm selling that stock and buying the stock of the competition. Yeah. It's kind of hard to miss that boat or not want to be on that boat long-term, but our listeners can think about that one in their spare time. All right, Chris, box office sales this year totaled $1.9 billion as of Thursday with 353 new movie releases. Now compare that to 2019, where there were 11.3 billion in sales and 909 releases. Man, oh man, it's a bad year for going to the movies. I don't know about you guys, but I can't remember the last time I set foot in a movie theater. And you know, if the death knell hadn't rung for movie theaters last year, it's certainly ringing this year. You know, Chris, I noticed you're in really great shape. Maybe it's because you're not getting that buttered popcorn at the local movie theater anymore. I really think it's because mom's been hounding me about my weight for years, and I finally got the message. Okay, Bob. Contrary to popular belief, the U.S. is still a manufacturing superpower producing more than $6 trillion goods in 2019. The problem is, while the U.S. economy is far bigger today than it was 20 years ago, we're still producing the same amount of goods 20 years later. We haven't grown the manufacturing sector at all. Well, we haven't grown it because we now import a trillion dollars in manufactured goods each year. But the fact of the matter is the global economy is growing. It's an $80 trillion GDP. I mean, think about that, guys. $80 trillion with a T. And the reason why the GDP always grows, world population grows. When I started this business 25 years ago, there were 4 billion people on the planet. We're at 7.5 billion people in 45 years. So that means there's more people buying Apple iPhones. There's more people buying cars. There's more people using electricity. The economy grows because there's more people on the planet. So to sum it up, Bob, more people, more people to sell to. Bottom line, capitalism 101. More people, more business, higher stock markets, richer Americans. God bless us. Chris, Brown University's $4.7 billion endowment fund is the smallest of the eight Ivy League schools. Aren't these nonprofit organizations? Yet its 12.1 return beat its larger peers, including Harvard, who has $41.9 billion in their endowment fund, gaining only 7%, and Yale, who has a $31 billion endowment fund, only rose 6.8%. Well, I'm starting to wonder if Brown University might be a little tech-heavy at this point, (laughs) considering their phenomenal returns over their Ivy League compatriots. They may need to talk to Payne Capital Management about a rebalancing. I'm going to call them tomorrow. 
Bob, Walmart's online sales nearly doubled from the same time last year, putting Walmart in the same league as Amazon.com. I wonder if Amazon really has a moat around their business. Well, I'll tell you what, that's why you have to diversify because you've got Tesla, right, which is selling at some ridiculous multiple, goes up 500 points a day, and they do 20 times less sales than Walmart, but it's priced the same as Walmart stock in terms of stock market capitalization. Well, crazy enough, Walmart does more revenue than any other company in the S&P 500. So even though it's not the largest company, it still does the most business. Crazy. And truth be told, Rye and Chris, I love Walmart. I like to go to their superstores, and it's not because they have some really interesting looking customers. <laughs> That's just a rumor. Now I know where Bob spends his free time when he's not playing golf. Chris, the recent small uptick in yields drew huge inflows into bond funds, some $25.9 billion in the latest week, the second biggest total on record, dwarfing only the $4.4 billion that went into stock funds. Retail investors love bond funds. Brother, I'll tell you what, that statistic scares the crap out of me because one, bond funds are probably the most dangerous thing you can hold in your portfolio. The yields are horrible. The market is bonds. They're called bonds, but they don't act like bonds because one, they don't come due. They don't have a set rate of interest and you have no control over the quality of those bonds that you buy. And when rates do finally start to go up, you may potentially see a huge amount of volatility. So to sum it up, bond funds are bad. Don't own them. Exactly. Well, gentlemen, another great show. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.